0: Part 1 of Chapter 3 Pathological Lying, Accusation, and Swindling This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Pathological Lying, Accusation, and Swindling by William and Mary Healy Chapter 3 Cases of Pathological Lying and Swindling Readers aside, Some of these cases have at the end of them a summary of the case. They almost look like index cards in the text, so before I read those, I'll say case card. End of aside. In the group of 12 cases making up this chapter, we have limited ourselves to a simple type in order to demonstrate most clearly the classical characteristics of pathological liars. How pathological lying verges into swindling may be readily seen in several of the following cases, for example, cases 3, 8, 10, 12, although only two, cases 3 and 12, have had time as yet to show marked development of the swindling tendency. For the purpose of aiding in the demonstration of the evolution of lying into swindling, and also to bring out the fact that facility in language may be the determining influence towards pathological lying and swindling, we have included case 12, which otherwise possibly might be considered under our head of borderline mental types. In any attempt to distinguish between pathological accusers and liars, cases overlapping into both groups are found, so some of the material in this chapter may be fairly considered as belonging partially to the next chapter. In discussing the possibility of betterment, a fact which we as well as others have observed consideration of cases one four and seven is suggested case one summary a girl of sixteen applied for help telling an elaborate tale of family tragedy which proved to be totally untrue it was so well done that it deceived the most experienced shrewd detective work cleared the mystery it was found that the girl was a chronic falsifier and had immediately preceding this episode become delinquent in other ways given firm treatment in an institution and later by her family who knew well her peculiarities this girl in the course of four years apparently has lost her previous extreme tendency to falsification hazel m at sixteen years of age created a mild sensation by a story of woe which brought immediate offers of aid for the alleged distress one morning she appeared at a social center and stated that she had come from a hospital where her brother a young army man had just died she gave a remarkably correct detailed medical account of his suffering and death in response to inquiry she told of a year's training as a nurse that was how she knew about such subjects in company with a social worker we went directly back to the hospital to make arrangements for what she requested namely a proper burial at the hospital office it was said that no such person had died there and after she had for a time insisted on it she finally said she must have been dreaming although she had wept on the shoulder of a listener as she first told her story she now gave it up without any show of emotion we were asked to study the case Hazel sketched to us a well-balanced story of her family life, one which it was impossible to break down. It involved experiences at army posts. She stated her only relatives were brothers in the army, and her recent work as a practical nurse. She finally led on to the death of her brother, as in the tale previously told when asked how she accounted for the fact that no such person was found in the hospital she answered well i either must have been crazy or something is the matter i don't think my mind is that bad the girl evidently was suffering from loss of sleep her case was not further investigated until after a long rest the next day hazel started in by saying it's enough to convince anybody that i was not in the hospital when mrs b and i went there and found out that they said i had not been there truthfully i don't know where i was if i was not there i must have been some place or must have been in a trance the long stories told in the next few days need not be gone into they contain descriptions of life with her family in several towns when she was a child of her graduation from high school in des moines and of her experience as a nurse in cincinnati and chicago our cross-examination disclosed that she knew a good many facts about obstetrics in which she said she had training and about the cities where she said she had lived For instance, she gave a description of the cliff house at San Francisco, the seals on the rocks there, the high school in Des Moines, and so on. She also knew about life at army posts. The point that made us skeptical was when mentioning the names of railroads, she placed the wrong towns upon them. For instance, she told us her brother worked on the L.S. and M.S. at Kenosha. Hazel's stories were successfully maintained for several days until a shrewd detective who got her to tell some street numbers in Chicago ferreted out her family. She had persistently denied the existence of any of them in Chicago and indeed stated that her father and mother had died years previously. One of the most convincing things about her was her poise. She displayed an attitude of sincerity combined with a show of deep surprise when her word was questioned. For example, the moment before her mother was brought in to see her, she was asked what she would say if anyone asserted that her mother was in the next room. Her instantaneous, emphatic response was, she would have to rise out of her grave to be there. We soon learned that not a single detail the girl had given about her family was true. She was born and brought up in Chicago and had never been outside the city. She had never studied nursing, nor had she ever nursed anybody. In public school, she had reached eighth grade. Hazel came of an intelligent family, and we were able to get a good account of the family and developmental history. Heredity seems completely negative as far as any nervous or mental abnormalities are concerned. She is one of seven children, four of whom are living, three having died in infancy. The father had just recently died of tuberculosis. There has been no trouble with the other children of any significance for us. Pregnancy with Hazel was healthy, but the mother suffered a considerable shock when she stood on a passenger boat by the side of a man who jumped overboard and committed suicide. The birth was difficult. The child weighed 12 pounds. Instruments were used. It was a breech presentation. At two years of age, Hazel was very ill with gastritis and what was said to be spinal meningitis. She had some convulsions then, had both walked and talked when she was about 16 months of age. During childhood, she had a severe strabismus, and at 8 years of age was operated upon for it. Vision has always been practically nil in one eye. Several diseases of childhood she had in mild form. After she was 2 years of age, she had no more convulsions or spasms or attacks of any kind. From the standpoint of general nervousness, Hazel was said to be one of the calmest in the family, although she was accustomed to drink five or six cups of coffee a day. Menstruation at 13 years, no irregularity. On examination, we found a very well-nourished and well-developed young woman of slouchy attitude and normal expression. Vision very defective in one eye and 1020 even with glasses in the other. Slight strabismus general strength good examination otherwise negative except for the fact that she had been infected with the diplococcus of nicer mental tests proved her to have quite normal ability neither special ability nor disabilities of significance were discovered for present discussion it is of interest to note that in the osage test she gave a functional account enumerating 16 items two of which were incorrect and accepted none of the suggestions which were offered the mother and sister brought out the facts that hazel had been giving an assumed name recently and lying about her age she had alleged that she was married in the last year she had run away from home on several occasions at one time had written her mother about her happy married life one letter reads dearest mother i can picture your dear face when you receive my letter I know you have your doubts about the matter, the same as I had the first few days, but, Mamma, you know I love him, and I have the satisfaction of being a married woman before Anna is. In the letter, she describes the appearance of her imaginary husband, tells about her new dress and gloves, and the prettiest little wedding ring that ever was made. In another letter, she says, It is just one o'clock a.m., and Jack has just gone to sleep, and so I stole a little time to write, etc. It was later shown by the stationery used, and by the girl's final confession, that these letters were written in the restroom of a department store. Hazel's lying began, it seems, when she was a little girl. She would come home from school and out of whole cloth relate incidents which occurred on the way home. One of her earliest efforts was about being chased by a white horse, The mother states that for years she has had to check Hazel because she recognized her remarkable tendencies in this direction. The father's death was somewhat of a shock, and it seems that after this the girl's other delinquencies began. Prior to the time she first went away from home, she had some sort of hysterical spells when she said she could see her father lying in his coffin before her in the room. Her behavior became quite outrageous with some young man in her own household at just about that time. Not that she was immoral, although she once suddenly blurted out in the parlor a grave self-accusation. Now, John, Mother thinks you must be careful. You know I am a prostitute. When we first saw her, she had been away from home four times on this last occasion for three weeks. Before she went, she said she wanted to kill herself mother had notified the police but no trace of her was found from hazel's own story told at this time and even after she became more stable it seems very likely that her bad tendencies began with her acquaintance with a certain rather notorious woman her mother came to believe that this was undoubtedly the fact our inquiry into beginnings brought to light the fact that hazel while a schoolgirl for long associated with this woman who taught her about sex immoralities. I don't believe my mother knows what this Mrs. R. did to me, or she would have had her arrested. She started me on all this. When I was about 11 years old, I first knew of those things. The first I ever heard was from that woman's daughter. I never said anything to my mother. I was always ashamed of myself to say anything about it. After I got to working with factory girls, I heard a lot about it. The mother told us later that she thought it probable, from what she now knew, that this Mrs. R. may have been largely responsible for Hazel's tendency to delinquency. Hazel kept this association of several years standing quite to herself. The mother remembers now how Hazel once stayed for hours after school and told a story and explanation that they felt sure was untrue. The teachers used to tell the mother that Hazel seemed as if she couldn't pay attention to her schoolwork. One teacher reported to us that she remembers Hazel as a girl who seemed peculiar and hysterical. The other girls called her queer and used to steer clear of her. The mother reports Hazel as being for several years impulsive, erratic, talkative, untidy, and rather dishonest in other small ways besides lying. All this in spite of vigorous home discipline. The girl at one time, under the influence of revival meetings, left the religious faith of her parents. However, they thought if any form of religion would make her better, it would be all right. At our last interview with Hazel before she was sent away, an interview which she prefaced by saying, I want to apologize for everything I did. The girl showed herself unable to avoid prevarications. Coming back, for instance, to the subject of her schooling, she tells us how she won a medal. This, her mother said, was untrue. About her own lying tendencies, she confessed that sometimes she hardly knew whether things were really so or not. Asked about her knowledge of other cities, I read a whole lot and learn things in that way. I used to have to write compositions, and I imagine we were going places. I was pretty good at that one felt very uncertain about hazel's mental condition when in almost the same breath she denied having said anything about the seals on the rocks in san francisco or about obstetrical cases but of course the denial may have been itself another falsification her knowledge of army affairs was gained through her acquaintance with young soldiers an unusual amount of what she heard or read was photographed with the greatest clearness in her mind and was recalled most vividly a peculiarity of hazel's case which was quite obvious was her lack of apperception concerning her own interests her lies all along after her identity was discovered were so easy to trace and they so quickly rebounded upon her that there seemed every reason for her to desist Nothing so clearly proved the absence of self-realization as her feeling under detention that other girls with whom she was in forced association were much beneath her in quality, although many of them were not nearly so untidy and had not been nearly so immoral. During all this period of several months, beginning with her running away and her writing the housewifely letters about her imaginary married life, And ending with her appeal for aid at the social center, Hazel was indulging in veritable orgies of lying. When away from home, she several times picked up men on the street and stayed at hotels with them. At the time of our first studies of this case, we hardly dared to offer either a mental or moral prognosis. In the institution for delinquent young women to which she was sent, Hazel's traits were long maintained. She proved very troublesome on account of lies to her family, to the officers, and to the other girls. The latter soon discovered, however, the peculiar lack of foundation for her stories. In the institution was also noted the tendency of untidiness of which her mother spoke. The authorities steadily persevered with Hazel. They secured another operation on her eye, which successfully straightened it, and she became fully cured of her pelvic disease she received instruction in a form of handicraft in which she quickly showed special dexterity and skill her tendencies to falsify gradually became less about two years later the mother again assumed control with great success this is the remarkable interest of hazel's case to wit that with proper discipline and the development of new interests her fabricating tendencies have been reduced to a minimum she has made a wonderful improvement and has long been a self-supporting and self-respecting young woman with her own relation to the world realized in a way that before seemed entirely lacking. Case Card Case 1 Girl, age 16 years Mental Conflict About Early, Secret Experiences Mental Conditions Either Mild Psychosis or Extreme Adolescent Instability Bad Companions Early Delinquencies, extreme lying, running away, sex, mentality, normal ability, psychosis, question mark, case two summary, a girl of nineteen, under partial observation for three years, was during all this time a great mystery, brought at first to us by her family as being insane because she was such a great liar and unreliable in other ways we never could find the slightest evidence of aberration no satisfactory explanation was forthcoming until the remarkable denouement when we learned that the mother whom we had come to know herself as an extreme falsifier was not the mother at all it seems clear that the girl's behavior was largely the result of mental conflict about certain suspected facts and psychosis contagion arising from the world of lies in which she had lived. Beulah D. has been known in several cities and in more than one court as the mystery girl. She has appeared on the scene in various places giving a fictitious name and telling elaborate stories of herself which always proved to be without foundation she ran away from home on several occasions but except in one instance which we know about has never been seriously delinquent we saw her on many occasions and tried to get at the truth of her stories of ill-treatment and the like investigators found there was unquestionably some truth in her statements but never from first to last in the many interviews which we had with her was there ever any possibility of separating truth from falsehood the girl simply did not seem to know the difference between the two what was more we found that the mother presented the same characteristics She also, by her most curious and complicated fabrications, led even her most rational sympathizers into a bewildering maze. A woman of magnificent presence, tremendous will, and good intelligence, she nevertheless was soon found to be absolutely unreliable in her statements. This woman's numerous inventions, so far as we have been able to ascertain, have been quite beside the mark of any possible advantage to be gained by her or her family. Naturally, we here thought heredity played an important role, until our final discovery that the two were not related. The details which we know about this case would cover scores of pages. In summary, it stands as follows. On the physical side, Beulah, at 17, was a striking-looking young woman, but of very poor development. She was only four feet seven inches in height and weighed a hundred and two pounds. Expression was quiet, pleasant, and responsive. Unusually clear and pleasant voice. Typical Hutchinsonian teeth. All other examination negative. Menstruation first at thirteen and a half. Normal and regular. Notwithstanding the mother's report of her being subnormal mentally, we found that she had fair ability. Her range of information was good. She was always desirous of writing compositions, she wanted to be a story writer, she said, but her diction was very immature and her spelling was poor, making altogether a very mild production. Never did we see any essential incoherency in her mental processes or any other signs of aberration. A series of association tests given in an endeavor to discover some of the facts which her mother maintained she herself was desirous of knowing, but really could not have been failed to elicit anything but the most normal reactions even to ideas about which we considered there must be some feeling tone on the osage test only ten items were given from the picture upon free recital on questioning twelve more details were reported correctly but no less than seven of these alleged facts were incorrect only one of the five suggestions offered was accepted no purpose would be served in recounting the details of falsehood which were told by this girl about her family affairs about the places she had worked about the facts of home treatment etc her lying was not done cleverly but it served to create much confusion and gave considerable trouble to a number of social agencies that came in contact with the family even when she was applying directly for help Her lies stood greatly in the way of achieving anything for her. The confusion was vastly added to by the many vagaries of her alleged parent. But even so, one of the chief accusations of the prevaricating mother was that the girl herself was a terrible liar. The whole situation was rendered completely absurd and needless by the behavior of both the woman and the girl after we had known this case for about three years and the truth about beulah's antecedents had come to light as the result of a new person stepping in on the scene the girl's tendency to falsification seemed quite inexplicable no one who came to know the circumstances even as we previously had been acquainted with them felt they could blame beulah for her attitude of dissatisfaction and her tendencies to run away we felt too that the mystery which had always hovered about this girl was sufficient to have led her to be fanciful and imaginative and that the fabrications of the self-styled mother did not form an atmosphere in which the girl could well achieve respect for truth but beulah's almost confusional state concerning the facts of her family life seemed quite explicable in the light of what we at last ascertained soon after we first saw the girl the woman had told us a most remarkable tale of how it was she happened to be the mother of the child and the attempt was then made by several to straighten out the apparent doubt in the girl's mind but it seems that the clever and tragic tale of the mother although well calculated to do so did not entirely cover the points remembered by this girl of her earliest childhood Evidently for a time Beulah tried to correlate the two, but doubt grew apace. It seemed almost as if her doubt as to who she was led her to say first one thing and then another. It was particularly at a period of stress of this kind that she was figuring in other cities as the mystery girl. The earlier facts of the case probably never will be known. Of the many details known by us, It is sufficient to say that the woman adopted Beulah as a young child and proceeded by devious methods to weave a network of lies about the situation of their relationship, who Beulah's parents really were neither she nor anyone else of whom we have heard ever knew. Beulah showed such delinquent tendencies after a time that she had to be sent to a corrective institution. After coming out, she made off in the world for herself before we could give her the information soon afterwards obtained by us. At her last visit, we felt that her report, in a terribly tragic mood on the family conditions, was totally unreliable. She went forth to weave, no doubt, new fabrications. Case Card Case 2 Girl, age 19 years Early experiences Peculiar Treatment and Excessive Misrepresentations in Home Circle Mental Influences Contagion from Long-Continued Untruthfulness at Home Mystery of Antecedents Mental Conflict about the Above Heredity and Developmental Conditions, Question Mark Hutchinsonian Teeth Only Clue Delinquencies, Lying, Running Away, Sex Mentality, Fairability with Poor Educational Advantages This is the end of Part 1 of Chapter 3, read by Mary Schneider.